We're looking at a, a study in the, in the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? And, and we've talked about the fact that he's our power aid. You know, there's Gatorade. There's uh, all these other things. There's Powerade that you can get as a drink, and it's got sugar. It doesn't have sugar. It's got electrolytes. It doesn't have electrolytes. But the Holy Spirit's no calories. Incredible power. Power aid for you. What does that mean? John chapter 16. Today we're talking about filling, the, filling in the blank. Does it really matter how we fill in the blank? I think it does matter. Uh, there was once a bookkeeper, and uh, she got a purchase order, and she mistook the dollar sign for a four. So she wrote a check for $4,382. The check was supposed to be $382. And the person who scribbled out that dollar sign so it looked like a four was me. Now, the check did not get sent out. We didn't pay something $4,000 more than we should have paid. But it's that easy and it's that crucial to get the right blank filled in at the right, right time. Isn't it? Yes, I'm not sure it is. I ran across a deal on a website, and I like this. And what it did is it just had uh, eight things that you had to fill out. It said, give, give us a noun, give us an adjective, give us a verb, give us a person, give us another person's name, give us another verb, give us a room that you know about, and then give us a musical instrument. And when you did that and you pushed the click, you clicked the enter, this is what it, it, it came up with. I've been working in Yellowstone all the streaky day. I've been working in Yellowstone just to pass the time away. Don't you hear the whistle jogging rise up so early in the morn? Don't you hear Bill Clinton shouting, Gary, glance your horn? You say, that makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, and the last part of it was someone's in the closet with Gary. I didn't want to go there because I just filled in blanks. Someone's in the closet. I know someone's in the closet with Gary strumming on the old tuba. I didn't, you know, you just put in things. And it, it's nonsensical. You know what's sad to me? There's a lot of people that treat the Holy Spirit just about like that silly song. Well, I don't know what the Holy Spirit is, who he is, you know, what he does. And so I'll just fill in the blank with whatever I want to. And, and it makes a huge difference. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? What is he like? If you don't have those blanks filled in right, it changes forever the way you live. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. What you believe, what you have as a core belief in your life, what you believe and you hold firmly into your heart changes the way you live. What you really believe changes the way you live, the way you will act and the way you live and the way you are inside. And we should know who the Holy Spirit is, but we don't. John 14, 17 is a great example of what we're supposed to do. It says, the world cannot see him who? The Holy Spirit. The world can't see the Holy Spirit because it neither, or cannot accept the Holy Spirit because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. You filled in the blanks, he says, for he lives with you and will be in you. So here's what we're going to do today. Let's fill in the, the blanks on who the Holy Spirit is according to what the Bible says. Not what a, a church says, what, not, not what a denomination says, not what some TV evangelist says. What does the Bible say about who he is? And then for the next five weeks, we're going to fill in the blanks about what he does and what he's like when, he's, when, when you're around him. So how are we going to do this? John chapter 17, verses 7 through 15, excuse me, John 16, verses 7 through 15, says that we need to be informed. Jesus said, I need to inform you about some things. I want to tell you about the Holy Spirit. John 16, verse, starting in verse 7, 
Jesus is speaking. He says, but I tell you the truth. We've been, in one of the Sunday, adult Sunday school classes, we've been looking at Andy Stanley's Defining Moments series. Great series. And every time he hears, the, he says, he sees that Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It's like, oh, that's too bright. The, the truth is too bright. I need to put some sunglasses on. That's, you know, that's too much. That's overwhelming me. And Jesus is once again saying, here's one of those truth moments. I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, that's Jesus speaking, I will send him, who? The Holy Spirit to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. And righteousness and judgment in regard to sin. Because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where he, you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. That's, he's talking about Satan, the prince of this world. Look at verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Be informed about the Holy Spirit. There's so many things we could study about who the Holy Spirit is, but I want to look at just two simple things that we usually get wrong. Two things about the Holy Spirit that we get wrong. Here's the first one. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And you say, well, that's pretty basic. Well, we need to start at the basics because we can't explain spirit. We don't know ethereal. We don't know that which is not, that which is not substance. We're three-dimensional. We, we want wood and mortar. We want, we want to be able to put our hands on something, and something that is spirit is something that has mystified us for a long time. We can't explain the Holy Spirit because he's infinite. We can't explain the finite, much less the infinite. I'll give you a great example of this. Kathy and I have been married for over 35 years now, and I can't begin to... I, we've, we've known each other for 38 years. We traveled together for Calvary Bible College, recruiting students when we first met our freshman year. For 38 years, I've known this woman. I can't begin to explain her to you. Now, she can probably tell you everything you need to know about me, but I'm still working on this mystery. And for most guys, that's probably true. But the truth is, you can't really totally define and explain someone even that's finite, much less someone that is infinite. And that's who our God is. The Holy Spirit is a person. But we can look at what has, been we, what has been revealed. We can look and see what God has told us about the Holy Spirit, even if we can't go any further than that. Sometimes... We treat the Holy Spirit almost like it's an it, like it's a thing, like it's a force. You know, may the force be with you. I love Star Wars, but that was one of the worst things that, that they could do for us is say the force is with you because we think of the Holy Spirit more like that. Kind of like the story that Chuck Swindoll tells about a little boy who comes to Sunday school class. And the teacher's really struggling. She's trying to teach about the Holy Spirit, and she knows that she needs to relate who he is in relationship to the Father and the Son. And so she gets the bright idea of getting a big pretzel. You know one of these pretzels you get at the mall? I mean the mega pretzel. That's my idea of a pretzel. 
And it's got three holes in it. And she said, now class, this is like the Holy Spirit. This hole is like God the Father. And the second hole is like God the Son. And the third hole, and she used the old time words that we don't use a whole lot now. She said the third one is God the Holy Ghost. Well, kids and ghosts, they, you know, Casper the Friendly Ghost and, and uh, Poltergeist and everything else. What they know about ghosts is not, you know, not really. And she was having a hard time getting it through. She went through it again. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And finally, she says to one of the little boys, he's been pretty receptive, and she says, okay, Johnny, you stand up, and you tell us about this. He says, okay, this is like the Trinity. This is God the Father, and this is God the Son, and this is God the Holy Smoke. <laughs> and that's about the way we treat the Holy Spirit sometimes, as if he's smoke, if he's, as if he's a vapor, and, and we don't get it. That's not the way the Bible presents him. The Bible presents him as a person who is defined who has what we would define, if, if you go to the American Psychi uh, uh, Psychi Psychiatric Society, uh, Society, they will tell you that a person is defined generally if they have intellect, if they have emotions, and if they have a will, if they have the ability to make decisions. That's what defines a person for us. And for some of you who have cats and dogs, you need to remember those three things, okay? The intellect, yes, the emotions, and the, and the ability to reason, to, have, to make to, to form decisions. The, the Holy Spirit has an intellect. The Bible talks about that. 1 Corinthians 2.11 No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is incredibly wise. Jesus is pointing out, when I, when I leave, the Spirit of truth is going to come. Why? Because He is incredibly intelligent. He's wise. He has guidance for you. He's going to teach you these things. We need to, to think of the Holy Spirit as one who has this great mind. But the Holy Spirit also has emotions. We don't think of that part of it a lot of times. He has, he has feelings. He has emotions. Romans 15.30 says, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. He doesn't say the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I urge you by, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Holy Spirit to join me in my struggle. You ever think of the Holy Spirit as having emotions? We don't think of that a lot. But, but time after time in the Bible, the Holy Spirit as a person is, is a person not only who thinks and has an intellect, but also who feels along with us. I love it when, when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he says, the God of all comfort, our God knows when you're hurting. And he, he wants to go through the pain with you. And there's also a time when we can do some things that will grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, look at what it says. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Did you ever think that maybe that night when you click on that website on the, on the computer that you shouldn't be looking at, that it may grieve the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit may say, Oh, no, not again. Did you ever think that when you tell that lie at work or that you cheat or, or you steal something that's not yours, do you ever think that the Holy Spirit might be saying, oh, Father, forgive him? Do you ever think that the Holy Spirit may have this sorrow and this grief and the emotion that wells up when he sees someone that he loves so much once again stubbing their toe or falling? The Holy Spirit has emotions. The Holy Spirit has a will, the ability to decide. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, All these are the, are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. You say, 
Okay, I'll grant that. So he has, he, he's decided who's going to get the spiritual gifts. He's made these decisions. The Holy Spirit, I'll grant this. He thinks, he feels, and he has this, he's rational, and he can make decisions, and he, and he decides things. He has a will, and he, and he carries out the will. I'll, I'll grant all that. So what, pastor? Here's a so what. Jesus said, I've got some things that are too heavy for you to bear right now. And what does he say? I have to leave so the person who can communicate them better to you, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit can show up and, and not only be with you, but be in you. You have somebody hanging out with you. I was one of six kids. When I was growing up, I didn't know that there was ever such a thing as being lonely. I didn't know that you could be by yourself. When I was growing up, it was not a matter of, are you going to share a room? It was how many guys were going to be in your room, okay? We lived in a three-bedroom, and finally they made a fourth bedroom out of something that wasn't really a bedroom. We had uh, my little sister and then five boys. And for most of my growing up time, there were three three of us, Jim and, and myself and David. We shared a room, the three of us. We didn't know that you could have your own room. And everywhere that I went, my little brother David went with me. And everywhere that Jim went, I tried to tag along. And everywhere that, I mean, it was just one of those things. I didn't know that you could ever be alone. The Lord says, everywhere you go, I tag with you. And you know, sometimes that's kind of creepy. But sometimes that's wonderful. Because when you get that diagnosis, when you get those words, when you hear somebody say something that you know that is too heavy for you to bear, the Lord says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, it says in Hebrews. The Holy Spirit is a person, and it's a person that loves us, that will teach us, that will go with us, that will help us in every way. But here's the second part. The other thing we need to be informed about is not only the Holy Spirit a person, but the Holy Spirit is God. You say, well, duh. No, not duh, because we don't get that. We, the Holy Spirit is always presented as on a different level than the angels or the people or anyone else. He's always tagged along with the Father and the Son. Time after time, when the, when the Holy Spirit's mentioned, especially when you come along with Jesus Christ or with God, it's always the, the three of them together, and they're on the same plane Grammatically, in every other way, they're always linked together. We call this the Trinity. I referenced it earlier. Jesus, he's getting ready to go back to heaven. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, what does he say? Go and make disciples. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's tagged along with the Father and himself. Jesus has said, I and the Father are one. He's already said that that he is God, and then he tags uh, this Holy Spirit in on the same plane as he is. Paul is writing and and finishing up, and he gives a blessing at the end of 2 Corinthians 13, 14, and he says, and basically what he says is, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and, and with all that God the Father is, And with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, he gives a blessing with the triune God, the Trinity. We have a a hard time with that. But even in the early church, from the very beginning, the day of Pentecost, the disciples understood who the Holy Spirit was. There's a story in Acts chapter 4. At the end of Acts chapter 4, a horrible thing has happened in Jerusalem. There's a horrible famine. People are dying. They're starving to death. We don't understand starving to death. 
I've been to St. Petersburg, they call it, uh, uh, well, we won't go into the whole history thing, but I went to St. Petersburg. During World War II, St. Petersburg had a million and a half people starve to death. Not killed by enemy fire. They, they literally cut off the city and all the supply lines. Can you imagine that? Half of San Diego starving? We can't fathom that. But that's what was happening in Jerusalem. There was this huge famine, and, and, and they realized what was going to happen. And, and as that was also going along, some of the people, even before the famine got that bad, they realized they wanted to help their Christian brothers and sisters. Before the famine got very bad, they also understood that the Christians were being cut off from their supply lines. And so Barnabas goes, and he, and he has some property, and he sells a property and he gives all of the money to the church. And other people thought, that is so cool that he did that. And so some of the rest of them, and there was a man by the name of Ananias and his wife Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. They went and they sold the property, but there was a small problem. Ananias says, I'd love to do this, but that property is too valuable. I don't want to give all that money. How about if I just give part of it? And you know what? That would have been, that would have been awesome. The Lord would have been thrilled with that. But instead of saying, here's the money for part of the land, or part of the money from the land, you know what they said? Oh, we sold it, and this is how much we got, and here's all the money. Look what happens in Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to who? To the Holy Spirit, and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. How is it that you've lied to who? The Holy Spirit. He didn't say you lied to me. He didn't say you lied to the church. He, they, he did. Ananias and Sapphira. And by, both of them, by the way, fall dead. Aren't you glad that God doesn't strike dead everybody who lies to the church? But he said, listen, you've, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And look at what it says in the end of the next verse. You have not lied to men, but to God. The disciples from the very beginning understood who the Holy Spirit was. And I started looking from the very beginning of the Bible in, in Genesis 1. It says, God says, let us make man in our image. Who's the plural? He's talking, I believe, about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and we looked at Genesis chapter 1. And in the second verse, it always says, and the Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the Holy Spirit's immediately introduced. And you can find in other places in the New Testament where it says the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. We know the, the Holy Spirit is God. When God decides that Jesus Christ is going to come in fulfillment of the prophecy, the Messiah is going to come, what does he do? He sends an angel to Mary. And you remember what the angel said to Mary? Mary, don't be alarmed. You're going to have a baby. It's, it's a virgin birth. That which is conceived of you is of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does miracles. Just like Jesus did miracles. In fact, incredible miracles. In Hebrews chapter 9, 14, it says the Holy Spirit is eternal. Uh, all of the attributes of God that we know that God is all-knowing. The Holy Spirit is all-knowing. 1 Corinthians 2, 10. The, whole, the God is all-powerful. Uh, Zechariah 4, 6, it says, You've done these unbelievable things, not by, might, not by power, but by the, the Spirit of God. We know that the God is ever-present. He's not only omnipotent and, and omniscient and knowing all things, but he's, he's, always, he's, also, he's always present. Psalm 139. The psalmist is writing, he says, where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the depths of Sheol, if I go to the heights of the mountains, you are there. The Holy Spirit 
I've got news for you. We think of the church as this building. We think of the church as this gathering place. And it is true in one sense. This is a physical manifestation. But when you came in, you brought somebody with you because the Holy Spirit's in you just like He's in me. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. And I don't believe we'll ever begin to explain who the Holy Spirit is. I've heard some great illustrations of the holy spirit one of the uh, of the trinity and then how the holy spirit relates because that's one of the hard parts how many gods are there well there's only one god how many persons of the god well there's three there's god the father god the son and god the holy spirit how does that work well i don't know and i've heard this illustration i heard this when i was in youth years and years and years ancient times before cars and telephones when i was in youth some of the young people going yeah i believe that you know pastor but I remember in youth, a guy came and he said, this is what God is like. And he brought an egg and he'd hard boiled the egg and he peeled the shell off. He says, the, the shell is like one of the persons. Let's just say the shell is, is uh, God the Father. And inside there's the white part. And he began to peel some of the white part away. And he said, that's like Jesus Christ because it's still part of the egg, but this is the different part of it. It's Jesus Christ. And then you go to the yolk part, the, the yellow part. And, and I remember the egg was not boiled quite enough. And when he got to the yellow part, there's this yellow yellow stuff running all over everything he said well that's you know i guess that's if you got god the father and jesus christ the holy spirit's running all over everything a great illustration except for one thing god's not like that because all of the egg is an egg but the shell is not all of the egg and god the father is all of god and jesus christ is not just part of the trinity he's all of the trinity and i don't know how that works and another illustration, years and years later, there was a whole thing. They brought a Bunsen burner and they put the pot on the, on the platform. A guy was speaking and he says, the Trinity is like this. It's like, you know, the three forms of water, H2O. You can have the liquid form, that's what we call water. And the solid form is what we call ice. Some of you are awake, that's good. And the third, the gaseous part, is the water vapor. And so he had boiling water and he was so proud of himself, he brought ice and he dumped it in the boiling water. And for a few seconds, there was boiling water and ice and the vapor all together. And he said, that's what God is like. And it's closer, but it's still not the same. You know why there are no illustrations to illustrate what God is like? Because there's no one like God. There's no other trinity. There's no other illustration because He is unique. He is the one and only. And the Holy Spirit is God. C.S. Lewis said, Would I want a God that I, a very finite man, could fully explain? No. The Holy Spirit is a person and the Holy Spirit is God. Be informed about the Holy Spirit. But then there is the, so what? What does that mean in my life? What am I supposed to do with that? Well, be impacted by the Holy Spirit is the second thing you should learn. And go over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, as Paul is writing to the church in Rome, he's, he's realizing that they've got some struggles. He's been spending time talking about some of their, their past, their heritage. And we get to Romans chapter 8, verse 5. He says, I want you to be impacted by what you know. It's, it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to be impacted by it. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on, that, on what that sinful nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Have you ever had your mind set on something? Have you ever had your mind totally set on something? Come on, you know you have. Have you ever been to the point where I really had my mind set on that? 
Yeah, absolutely. He says, where's your mindset? Is your mindset on, on the things that we see, the, the material things, on the sinful nature, or is your mindset on something else? Look at verse 6. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is what? Life and peace. The sinful mind is a hostile. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Boy, that's pretty powerful stuff. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Now look at this next phrase. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. We looked last week at being born again, born from above. We looked last week about being baptized into the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And he says here very clearly, you can say whatever you want, whatever church wants to say, you don't get saved and then get the Holy Spirit because it says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. That's pretty simple, folks. Look at verse 10. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Did you get that? Some of you read right over that and you didn't get that. How many of you are dying? Everybody. The minute you were born, you started dying. I had somebody tell me yesterday they were terminal. Guess what? We all are. Unless the Holy Spirit, unless the Lord comes and the trumpet sounds, folks, it's not when or if. I mean, it's not if, it's when. We're all going to die. The body is dying. The, the body is death. How many of you are terminal? I'm terminal, you're terminal. And he says that. He says the body is death. But the, but the spirit is life. Look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. The wonderful news is the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in you. Did you get that? The very same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you. Look at verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. I love this next part. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, it says in the NIV. Really a poor translation. Adoption is a better word. You receive the spirit of adoption. I don't know how many of you are adopted here. How many of you are, well, I don't want to do that because some of you may not want to admit that you're adopted. I got news for you. I'm adopted. I'm one of six that was adopted. My dad was adopted. We were adopted by the king, the king of kings and lord of lords. He says, don't you understand you were all adopted into the family? Whose family? Your physical family? No, God's family. I'm related to the king. I love that. The spirit of adoption. And by him we cry, Daddy, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What's interesting is, in one case, it's, it talks about that we are the huios, the, the Greek word the huios. In another case, it talks about that we are the, the technon. We are God's 
technon. What does that mean? Well, that means you're one born, physically born. And so he says the huios are the adopted sons. You're not only born into the family, you're adopted by the father as well. We, I could go forever with that. Just, just go on. Verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. So we're going to inherit. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Are you impacted by what it means to be a part of the family of God? Are you impacted by the Holy Spirit indwelling you, living in you? Three things he says ought to impact us. Number one, set your minds. Set your mind on what the Spirit desires. Set your mind on it. It, it, This is a mind controlled by desires. The truth is we're all controlled by desires. It just depends on what desires you're controlled by. And the mind set on there is the phroneo is the Greek word. And and I'm not trying to impress you with Greek. I'm just telling you this word has huge meaning. It's beyond being just a a preoccupation. It's being absorbed by the, the object of thought, the interest, the affection, the purpose. You are absolutely overwhelmed by this. For the last three weeks, one of the greatest sporting events of all the year has been on. You know what it is? I don't think 49ers are playing yet. Well, that wouldn't be the greatest sporting event of all year anyway. Sorry. Where's Diane? Uh, No, it's the Tour de France. The Tour de France. And you're going, who cares? Millions of people. Millions of people. I was uh, showing some of the guys. There's a, the Boston Globe took these great pictures. Uh, unbelievable. One guy's riding along at 20 miles an hour. He's had a bike crash. Riding along and his arm is bleeding. There's blood gushing everywhere. And at 20 miles an hour, a medic comes alongside on a motorcycle and wraps his arm while he's still riding at 20 miles an hour. I can't even ride 20 miles an hour, much less have somebody wrap my arm from a bicycle crash so I don't lose any time. I mean, these guys are insane. And there's one picture of this guy in a red devil suit. Unbelievable. And this guy jumps, I mean literally jumps off of the ground so that his feet would be almost at the top of the podium. So you know he's in incredible shape. And I thought, what would make some 50-some-year-old guy in France dress up in a red devil suit and when one guy comes by, he jumps up so high, he has the whole pitchfork and the whole business. I mean, it's like red leotards. It's not a, it'd be like me in red leotards. It's not really a picture you want to put on your wall, right? What would make him do that? I found out this guy's a lawyer. He's wealthy. But the guy who was leading that day is not the guy that he wanted to have lead. So he was trying to distract him by dressing in this costume and showing up four different places and jumping in front of him to try to put him off and and try to distract him so he would crash and his man would win. This guy is obsessed. Who's ever said that to you about how you feel about Jesus Christ? This guy's obsessed with him. If the Spirit lives in you, it cannot help but change you. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen how something that lives inside someone else can change them? I unfortunately had a first-hand experience with this. When I was, oh, very, very young, for five or six years old, my dad came to me and he said, your cousin, Mike, who is a couple of years older than you, has just been diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. I didn't know what that meant. And over the next years, every summer we would go from Kansas City to Chattanooga, Tennessee, where most of my dad's and mom's family lived. And we would see Mike, my cousin, and, and the cystic fibrosis would grow. And Mike went from looking like a normal little uh, seven or eight-year-old boy to the point that he, he no longer grew up this way, but his chest began to grow. 
I remember when I was getting ready to, to graduate, one of the last times I saw him, uh, 17, 18 years old, he was about 20, and I saw Mike. I was uh, at that time six feet tall, and, and Mike was about five, three or five, four, and he had a 56-inch chest. And this is what I remember night after night. Every time that we would go to Chattanooga and Mike would be in the next room, I would hear this. I would hear this thud over and over and over again. And one time I went in there and my uncle was beating Mike with his open fist, he was, or open hand. And then sometimes he would make a fist and he would beat him on the chest and he would beat him on the back. And I'd say, Uncle Henry, what are you doing? And he says, you don't understand. I have to break the phlegm th loose in his lungs. If I don't do this, Mike will die tonight. And he would hit him over and over and over again to dislodge this stuff. And he would cough it up and he'd hit him some more and he'd cough up some more and he would do it again and he would cough up some more. And one time I said, Uncle Henry, don't hit him anymore. And he said, George, you don't understand. He fights for every breath that he has. You have to understand the thing that I remember about Mike is Mike had this huge uh, funny streak that we didn't get. One time we showed up to my grandmother's house late in the evening. We'd been driving all day, 700 miles from Kansas City, and we noticed that my grandmother was selling her house, and we didn't know that. And I walked in and I said, Granny, why are you selling your house? She said, I'm not selling my house. I said, Granny, there's a for sale sign in front of your house. Where did the for sale sign come? And, and Mike's sitting back there going, ha, ha, got her. He'd seen a for sale sign four or, five, four or five houses down. He went and got the for sale sign and just put it in front of her house. He didn't tell anybody. He just put the for sale sign in front of my grandmother's house. He had this sense of humor. That's the way Mike lived. The diagnosis of cystic fibrosis changed every breath that Mike took from that day on. I'll never forget when he was just past his 22nd birthday, on a Sunday morning, 7.30 in the morning, we were sitting down to breakfast and the phone rang and my mom, who very rarely got emotional because she got phone calls as a pastor's family, she got the phone call and she just dropped the phone and just began to weep with her hands in her face. And she said, Mike was beaten last night as usual and had the oxygen tent as usual, but something happened in the night, in the night and he suffocated. He, he literally drowned to death in his sleep. Is there something inside of you, the Holy Spirit inside you, that changes your mindset? Is there something inside you that changes forever the way you look at that? This is the way the psalmist wrote it, Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. God, I need you for my next breath. I need you for that next drop of water. God, I need you in all that I do. Has that ever dawned on you as a person? Do you have that kind of thirst? Set your mind on what the Spirit desires. Number two, switch your life to the, to the Spirit's power. Switch your life to the Spirit's power. Who raised Jesus from the dead again? Who does it say? The very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Does he have the power to transform us? He says he will also give life to your mortal bodies. Again, a, a, a great little Greek word, zesthi, it says you will live. It's, it's the picture of a rich, abundant, fulfilling life, not material life, not material wealth. It's something far better. It's the richest, fullest kind of life. Have you ever noticed that, uh, maybe you didn't have this experience, when Kathy and I were married, we had so much money, we had we had dimes and quarters left over i mean every month we had 
we, we paid $60 a month for our apartment. The cockroaches were free. They didn't charge any extra for those. $60 a month. It was a horrible apartment. It, was, it smelled bad. It was in a bad part of town. Let's see, the one redeeming factor, there was no redeeming factor. It was just an apartment. It was a place to live. It was horrible, and it was partially furnished, and it was just a nasty place to live. We were so poor, and we were so happy. We didn't have a toaster. The only way you could toast toast would be to turn the broiler on, and it didn't have any of those, like, you know, self-lighting things, so you would have to take a match and try to light the broiler in the, in the stove and try not to blow yourself up so you could have a piece of toast. That's... Do you ever notice that sometimes the best of stuff is not when you have the most of stuff? The Holy Spirit says, I want to give you that richness of life when you're east, least able to achieve it on your own. Romans 8, 26. Look at what it says. In the same way the Spirit helps us win in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans, uh, with groans that words cannot express. When does He help us? When we realize we're weak. Switch your life to the Spirit's power. I, I brought a little something today. I, I brought a bag here. Does anybody know what this is? You know what that is? It's a screwdriver, absolutely. What do you use that for? You know what I use this for? Prying stuff open anymore. Because when you try to use that screwdriver, what happens? And especially if you try to take a screw out that somebody put in with a power screwdriver, power drill, what happens? You almost can't get it out. And so I have switched. I still use screwdrivers every now and then, but I've switched. I have this. I know what this is all about. This is all about 18 volts DeWalt power. I mean, this, this baby, this is what you... I mean, it's got the same thing on the end. You can just screw all day long. You can make those, those screws go in so fast, you can bring them out just like... This is just the most wonderful thing. But you know what? I've run across some screws that that won't get out. And when that happens, we plug in to the power. And this one, you got to really be careful. I had a friend who has had the same drill, and he was drilling with this, and it has an attachment that actually goes over the front so you can have an extra hand. And he wasn't paying attention and was drilling into a door, a solid door, and it caught and it snapped, and it broke his arm in six places. That's some power. That's nothing compared to what the Holy Spirit says I have for you. He says, you're still monkeying around with this when I have this available. You're still trying to, with your hand, screw a screw in when I've given you all the power in the world to plug into. When are you going to switch? When are you going to do it with the Holy Spirit's power? Switch your life to the Spirit's power. How do you do that? This is prayer. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us for us with words, with groans that words cannot express. The Holy Spirit is praying for you today. Switch your life to the Spirit's power. And here's the last one. Synchronize your life with the Spirit's presence. Synchronize your life with the Spirit's presence. What does that mean? It says that you're adopted into the family. It means that you're going to have to readjust because there's a readjustment period. We don't get what the whole thing of adoption, F.F. Bruce uh, had a great statement, the adoption must be understood from the culture of Paul's day, he says. In the Roman world of the first century, an adopted son was a son 
deliberately chosen by his adoptive parents to perpetuate the family name and inherit the entire estate. He was saying, listen, do you understand? They realized they were never going to have a child, and they wanted more than just a son, just a name. They wanted someone that would perpetuate the family. They wanted someone that they could give everything to. He was in no way inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature. And in fact, he might well enjoy the father's affection more fully and strive harder to reproduce the father's character more worthily. My question is, when you came to Christ, when you came into the family, was there any readjustment in your life? Did anything change? Was there ever a time when you said, well, I I need to change some things in my life? My brother Jim is 13 months older than I am, and when he got married to his wife, his wife was one of these people that when they sat down for a meal, every, there was always cloth napkins. It was, you know, it was very formal. When we sat down, I used to tease, there were you know, six children in our family, and when mom would call us to dinner, if I stumbled and fell on the way to the table, I didn't even bother to go. By the time you got there, the food was gone. <laughs> it was gone. I mean... Kathy, the first time or two she came over on Sunday, she was being very polite, and she said, I'll just take one spoon of these vegetables and get more when they come around. And we all laughed. That ain't happening. You're getting it first because you're the guest, and when it comes back around, you're just going to see an empty bowl. And my brother Jim, he hated eggs. The only way he would eat eggs was with ketchup. Well, actually, that was true of eggs and green beans and a whole lot of things. I mean, he put ketchup on everything. And the first time that his wife fixed him this beautiful dinner, he took the ketchup bottle and he just began to just douse the whole thing with ketchup. And she said, what are you doing? He said, I'm getting ready to eat. And she said, not like that you're not. Not in this house. There was an adjustment period. (laughs) See, it's been 38 years. I think they're still adjusting on that part. What adjustments have you made to the Holy Spirit and to God's family? You see, the truth is we expect God to adjust to us. And he says, no, I didn't didn't come into your family. I adopted you into my family. I want you to be a part of my family. Romans 5, 5 is, is so powerful here. It says, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love where? Into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. And sometimes that adjustment is a tough adjustment. I love C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis has has written so many great things. And, you know, sometimes this adjustment is such a painful time for us because we don't realize what we have transformed ourselves into. There's a a, a book by by the name of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And what's interesting is our son-in-law, who works in a place where he gets to see boats come in all the time, sent me an email or a text message with a picture of the voyage of of the Dawn Treader, a boat. Somebody had named their boat that, and he sent me this picture of it. And I couldn't remember what story it was from, and it made me curious when I came back and I began to read the story again. And by the way, it's the third of the the, uh, installments. They're going to come out with a movie in December from C.S. Lewis, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and, and that whole series. And in the Voyage of the Dawn Trader, there it's kind of an amazing thing because the little boy, uh, Eustace, 
was lazy and he didn't want to do what the king wanted him to do, didn't want to do what Aslan, the, the lion, would have him to do. And so he went and hid in a cave. And it was a dragon's cave. And because he hid away from the king, he became a dragon and had this dragon suit, this dragon skin, and it, and, and it enveloped him. And Eustace became a dragon. And he finally realized that he needed to get the dragon skin off. And he began to peel his dragon skin off, but he never got anywhere. He's still a dragon. And Eustace became terrified. And in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, this is a, a paragraph that I love. The very first terror, or, uh, finally, uh, Aslan, the lion, said, I'll take it off, but I'll have to do it with my claws. I'll have to tear the dragon skin off. The very first terror he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff pull, peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, and there it was lying on the grass, and there was I as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I'd been in some time than he, Aslan, caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I'd had no skin on, and he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment, and after that it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone. The king had put me into the everlasting water. It's a picture of what the king wants to do to us, to tear off the old nature, the old us, to make us new again. And Eustace goes back to the other kids, and this is what he says, Aslan is not a tame lion. And I'm here to tell you today, God, our Father, is not a tame God. But He will transform you. And He longs for you to come to the point where you'll allow Him to take the dragon's skin off. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. And He longs for us to understand how that could impact us if we would just get there. Father, you know the heart of every person who's here today, and you know the needs that we have. We've been living in the dragon skin so long, we don't even realize that it's not our own skin, and we've been hanging out in the dragon cave so long that we're still dragons, and we don't even comprehend what that means. Oh, Father, forgive us. We know it may be painful to adjust to what it means to be a part of your family. But we know it's by your grace and your goodness that you see us helpless, struggling to peel the skin away, to the old nature away. And instead you say, come to me and I will I'll give you new life. A living water that, that literally will pour from the inside out. Perfectly delicious and wonderful to swim in. Thank you, Father, for the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So we need you, Father, in all that we do and all that we say. We need you, Father. May we come into your presence understanding what it means to have you do what only you can do. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.